Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. Got a very fun guest today, something a little bit different, but I think it's it's going to provide just a really unique angle on, on what we traditionally talk about on Restaurant Hoppin'. Today, my guest is John Benton. He's a graduate of the famed Johnson & Wales University in Rhode Island. He was an executive chef at Venue in Lincoln for seven years, and he's now the executive chef at Champions Run Country Club. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yes, 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 yes. So there are a number of reasons that I'm excited to talk with you today, but I think one of the most important is kind of debunking the myth that the occupation of chef is synonymous with a restaurant. Because there are, there are private chefs, there are caterers, there are chefs that work at hotels, that work on cruise ships, there are chefs that work at golf courses and country clubs, and they do incredible work. Can you help kind of enlighten us as an audience on the ways the term chef means so much more than just being tied to a restaurant? Yeah, well, um, obviously, you know, coming from venue in Lincoln and, and prior to that, I worked out in Boston and went to school in Rhode Island, but um, I came from an independent restaurant background, so... Uh, obviously, long, hard hours, uh, lots of pressure to uh, perform and demand for the public, uh, almost a wider variety of things that, that a public restaurant does. But they, they seem to be more focused on, on their specific niche, right? What's mm -hmm. different about a chef at a country club is, you know, I, I know my demographic of our members. They're young, they're fun, they're energetic, uh, but they always want something different. So I feel like we're almost constantly changing more than we would in an uh, independent setting. Um, through COVID with a pandemic, uh, you know, we, we got shut down just like everybody else. We were lucky enough, uh, you know, in a country club membership dues, uh, account for a lot of revenue and help keep the business open, but we only had to furlough staff for about a week when we, uh, were shut down oh, wow. there nice. and, uh, had the opportunity to get real, real creative. Um, we hosted three drive through burger nights, um, over at champions. And, uh, the first one, I think, uh, <laughs> We were ready for it, but we weren't ready for how busy it was going to be. I think we ended up serving like 700 hamburgers on oh a drive-thru. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And uh, we basically just uh, got a wood-burning plancha grill set up outside, turned our, our front entryway into a drive-thru, and uh, one of my friends loaned me a fryer, and we basically just set up a drive-thru outside. And, uh, boy, that first one, we had traffic all the way back to uh, like 132nd off of Eagle Run Drive. So it was a pretty big, wild response. Uh, number two was just as busy, if not busier, but we were more prepared. Um, the second one was really fun because we had uh, we like did a scavenger hunt that they could do from the car for their kids, and obviously we have the beverage carts and stuff out there, so it was kind of fun to be able to do to go alcohol also while we were doing that. Um, but yeah, just to get back to to your question, um, the role of chef. I mean, you're you're leading or you're developing a team, you're you're creating menus, you're creating dishes. Um, in a country club, uh, it seems to take a lot of different routes. You know, I find myself doing a lot of, uh, during the season, cooking out on the golf course, um, coming up with lots of different themed events. I mean, we do six, seven, eight events a month, uh, keep membership engaged, keep everybody happy. Um, not to mention the little pool cafe that we have when the pool's open. I mean, we do, uh, almost $350,000 of revenue out of a, a little, literally one guy on a line, uh, during the summer season. And uh, just gets it's interesting because that's kind of run more like a fast food restaurant where the inside dining's run more like fine dining, and then you have the uh, the banquet aspect as well. That uh, on a busy busy night, there's so many people running around uh, out of one kitchen that uh, it's a little wild. <laughs> well, that's the thing that really amazed me as I was doing my research and kind of looking through all the different things uh, that Champions Run offers. And like you mentioned, there's 
You guys do coursed wine dinners. You have a full-service menu. You have the casual family dining. You have banquet spaces that can accommodate over a 1,000 people. And I'm reading this, and I mean, I know that you have help. I know it's not all on you, but I'm like, how do you do all this? Because you're not only talking different menus, you're talking completely different atmospheres. I'm Like, just how? Well, you know, we have an awesome catering and events team. And, uh, you know, our sales coordinator for catering uh, really does an excellent job really making the environment something special. Uh, you know, we did a, uh, event for American senior benefits, uh, just this last weekend for their holiday party that they had postponed. And, uh, the whole pavilion area, we call it our biggest space set up like a carnival. I mean, we had, uh, uh, circus performers in there. We had cutouts for pictures, all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, and in the meantime, we're also doing, uh, you know, obviously first Friday of uh, Lent, uh, weekend food service going on. And, uh, this month's been wild. Uh, we're in the middle of a renovation. And so this month, what we decided to do is every week, it's a whole new restaurant. So uh, the uh, the first week of the month, we started with uh, Italian-themed food. And we did, you know, really awesome, authentic Italian food. Uh, and then uh, two weeks ago, we did uh, the steakhouse theme. So it actually fit in perfect with Valentine's Day. It was awesome. Very busy, which was good. Uh, heard a lot of people in Omaha were busy for Valentine's Day. So that's awesome to hear. I know my buddy Glenn at Spencer's uh, had a fully booked uh, weekend. We were there. My <laughs> wife and I were. It was excellent. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, and then uh, last week, we did Seafood Week. And then uh, we're getting ready tomorrow to fire up the Taqueria Week. So, uh, And then all that... Uh, kind of comes to a head March 2nd when we come out with a whole new restaurant menu uh, to kind of couple with our uh, dining area renovation and reopen. Now, the first thought that comes to my mind is like, it takes quite a lot of time to get a restaurant up and going, to formalize a menu, to become an expert in a cuisine where you feel comfortable serving it. And you talk about, you know, almost changing this whole restaurant on the fly every week. Like, how, how do you make the adjustment that quickly where you're able to come up with the menu and you say, you know, you're serving authentic Italian dishes and like I know that you're a very smart guy with a lot of experience but like how, how do you just have all this knowledge to be able to churn out these different restaurants well uh it takes a lot to make all that happen um you know with our vendors and stuff I planned all these menus in January so I've had had standing orders put in for special order product weeks in advance to make sure that that happens the big snowstorm didn't really help us for the Italian week food that uh, almost didn't happen on the right day uh, but we made it work um we're not the, the biggest kitchen team, but I mean, we have, I have 13 staff that work with me, including a couple other, uh, you know, a sous chef, two sous chefs, a banquet chef, and a pastry chef. Uh, but it's really just uh, one team, one dream, one vision, and uh, it takes a lot of planning and uh, prep lists. And uh, on my end, uh, every, every Tuesday when we roll out the menu, uh, we cook through the entire menu. We put up all the dishes for the servers, and then they get to taste everything and ask questions. And uh, it's a lot of work. I haven't really slept a whole lot this month, but uh, totally worth it. And it's been a really fun outcome uh, for the members. Um, I guess in order to to really be energetic and excited about making that change, you really have to have a great team of people who want to do it with you. It's a lot harder if uh, you have a staff who doesn't really, isn't buying into it, doesn't really feel the vibe or whatever. Um, but uh, the team at Champions Run is just an amazing group of people. It's unlike anything I've, I've ever experienced in my career. And, uh, you know, you mentioned how do I come up with the ideas. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I live, breathe, sleep, eat, drink food. Uh, and, uh, you know, cooking is something I decided I wanted to do at a really young age. Uh, I got my first job at Wilderness Ridge in Lincoln when I was 15 as a busboy. And then uh, just kept bothering, uh, actually, Chef Lane Rosenberry from Cisco. He was the chef at Wilderness Ridge at the time. 
uh, every day I went into work, I said, hey, will you put me in the kitchen? <laughs> and uh, eventually, I think he got so fed up that he caved. So I uh, got my first start there. And um, uh, with that, got my high school in Lincoln Southwest to let me start taking classes at Southeast Community College as like a dual enrollment thing. So I started doing that when I was like 16. And uh, it's really just been uh, kind of a lifelong uh, love and journey of food. <laughs> uh, I definitely want to get more into your background because I think there's a lot of fascinating stuff. Even what you just said right there, you were taking college courses as a 16-year-old. That's, that's pretty impressive. But I, I, I want to go back real quick to just kind of this theme of creativity because I feel like it's something that's already come up three or four times in this conversation, even in this short time, and just that you have these opportunities to do these different things. When you have almost like two or three different concepts, you know, at the country club, even under normal circumstances, not even talking about COVID. And then, you know, with COVID, you get a chance to do these burger nights and a scavenger hunt, and you get to do, you know, the, these different restaurants, the, you know, the taqueria and everything like that. Obviously, there are some changes in the traditional restaurant format. You know, menus can change with seasonal ingredients. You know, you can do special events or pop-ups and stuff, but you're more or less doing a lot of the same stuff over and over again. As a chef, how fun is it to just kind of unleash that creative side and really get to do that really almost every day, it sounds like. You know, it is just, uh, it's so fun and it's so different and unique to the country club environment that we get to do stuff like that. Um, you know, even when I was in Lincoln, we got to do, you know, wine dinners once a month or whatever. But, uh, you know, at Champions, we have the wine club that's going on every month. We do wine dinners, bourbon dinners. Um, we have multiple dining areas. So we have, um, once our remodel is done, we'll kind of have our main dining area, which is, you know, quick lunch, kind of nicer dinner. Uh, but we also have like a men's card room area where the dudes like to go and drink and hang out and play cards. So we have a separate menu for that. Uh, when the golf course gets open, we've got breakfast offerings that we do for the course. Um, that we uh, fire out of a different cafe there, as I mentioned, the pool. Um, and then, uh, you know, any other events that we decide to uh, to come up with. Um, you know, it just, uh, it, as I said, it takes a lot of energy and effort, and it takes a lot of uh, forethought and the right people in the right place. But it's so fun to go into work and not just be bogged down with the same thing every day. Um, you know, in addition to our regular menu, when we're up and running every week, we do a special features menu. Uh, of course, so, so that's, because you don't have enough going on oh, already. <laughs> I, I, I would be bored. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, we got some fun projects going on. You know, I do some in-house dry-aged beef at the restaurant. Um, I, you know, I kind of started all of Venue's uh, dry-aged beef program there. And, you know, they've actually started to do, uh, I think it's VenueSteaks.com or whatever. But th they're selling all that stuff based on uh, the program that we set up and th that we were able to get going there. And so I'm already planning on what features are going to be when the new menu comes out in March. You know, I've got some uh, some whole uh, bone-in uh, pork loin and belly and rib sections, like a pork wing is what I'm calling it. Oh, wow. And that's in the dry aging cooler right now getting ready to go for when we fire back up. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's fun to have an idea or to, to see something cool and unique and just be able to, to fire it off and do it. And uh, Champions is unique in that our, our membership, our average age is uh, quite a bit younger than a lot of other country clubs. And aside from everybody wanting, you know, really healthful food, uh, they also are excited to try new stuff. And so, I mean, we have this regular stuff on the menu, but it's almost like it seems like the features are what's driving everybody to come in every week and, and really check out what we're doing. That's really cool. Now, you mentioned that your background, obviously, from working at Venue, which for, for people who don't know is a, a pretty well-established fine dining restaurant in Lincoln. You were there for almost seven years. And even before that, you mentioned you've worked mostly in the traditional restaurant format. 
How, how did you make the decision to move from that background, which was mostly what you knew, into the country club atmosphere? Well, sometimes you don't make the decision. The decision's made for you. No, um, I don't. I don't know that I, I necessarily was just like, oh man, I really want to work in a country club. Mm-hmm. But what did happen is, uh, you know, throughout being in the industry and working and meeting people, you come in contact with some great networking pieces, right? And uh, it really, for me, I wasn't looking for the next business to work for. I was working for the next team to work with. Uh, and so the general manager over there, Andy Reitz uh, at Champions Run, amazing guy. Uh, met him through uh, a mutual friend who is the former president of Cisco Lincoln, Kim Brown, uh, who was also my neighbor growing up. So, you know, believe it or not. Small world. Uh, I know. Anyway, uh, once I met him, we interviewed a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's just a small world. My brother used to work for Andy Reitz in Lincoln when Andy opened Backyard Burgers uh, there, which he no longer owns. But Andy was also the uh, the general manager for Hillcrest uh, for many, many years. And uh, that's how we became to meet Kim. And uh, next thing you know, we're talking and uh, just really trying to find the next best cultural fit. And, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit the uh, first year in the country club, uh, COVID aside, uh, was a huge learning curve. You know, it's way different than an independent restaurant. Uh, you know, you have somebody who comes in and says, hey, you know, I want X, Y, Z. Can you make it? You know, if you have the ingredients, yes, we're absolutely going to do it. It's a, it's a, a members only club. People pay to walk in the front door. Right. Um, so. I guess in that regard, it's a, it's a lot different, just trying to be prepared for those items. And, you know, they can cause some frustration and headache sometimes, but uh, always got to make sure the guests are taken care of, number one, right? And that goes across any restaurant. But really getting into Champions Run was just uh, a super cool, cool thing. You know, it was amazing to have uh, a wider breadth of team for uh, larger on-site events. You know, venue, we had a couple event rooms and uh, did a lot of off-site catering at Champions no offsite and it's all like within our four walls which allows us to do some really really cool things um but uh really just hitting that learning curve understanding what the members wanted and and needed and also uh i guess i don't know the right way to say this um the country club sometimes the managers in that position so like like the the former kitchen leadership right they didn't really necessarily put the same fine tooth comb on like everything they were doing that an independent restaurant would do. So for example, uh, every recipe on the menu costed out and analyzed. Um, you know, I started at Champions Run. There was no kitchen schedule. The chef just used to text the cooks when he needed them to work. Oh boy. And uh, so I had a lot of pieces like that that I had to get filled in to, to really get to where we're at now. And uh, honestly, it's just an amazing group of people with widely diverse talents, um, you know, have a, have a, Big cultural aspect there, mostly Hispanic. So I'm really excited about Taqueria Week tomorrow because we've got some really cool stuff going on. Um, and, you know, it was nice to be able to uh, bring uh, at least a couple team members with me from uh, my former job in Lincoln. Uh, Sergio Segovia was my sous chef at, at Venue and then was the chef at Cactus when that opened. And then uh, was able to get him and his wife, Cynthia, who are two amazingly talented people, to come up to Champions. So... Going on two years now, they're still commuting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's great to have people that you know and can trust and can rely on. And, you know, even uh, I have a friend, his name's Brock. I've kind of trained him to be our meat cutter. And I've known him since before high school. And you know, his family his family owns uh, the Big Ten Tavern in Bennett. So they just run a, like a really small town bar. And uh, one day Brock was just like, hey, I want to learn how to cook. Can I come work for you? And uh Boy, has it just worked out great. It's so great to have people who are, like, energetic and enthusiastic about wanting to learn and do more. And, 
you know, it's, it's kind of wild the breadth of things we do. You know, Champions Run, uh, you know, we talked a lot about that today. We also opened Stone Creek Golf Course, uh, which was a whole other deal. That's where I had Dan Watts uh, pretty heavily involved in helping get that open. Uh, that was during COVID shutdown, so he was furloughed. Um, but to take the resources of a private club and then translate that into a food service operation for a public golf course uh, was a little bit different and unique. But, uh, man, it's uh, it's amazing all the things that you think back on. It's only been two years. I feel like I've just done so much. But <laughs> Yeah, you've mentioned a lot. And I think you've mentioned the team and how important the team is several times. And, yes, I, I can totally see with all the different things that you're doing and that you have going on, you need to have a group of people who is just as passionate about it as you are, or they would just look at it and be like, this guy's crazy. I don't want to make a different restaurant every week, or I don't want to, you know, if somebody comes in and, you know, tries to make a customized meal, I don't want to do that. Like that's a hassle. You have to have a team that really, really cares. And clearly you've created that. How, how do you create a team like that? Because I I know that, you know, turnover is very, prevalent in the restaurant industry it can be hard to find passionate individuals how have you gone about finding those people yeah so uh you know i started champions run we had a lot i had a lot of employees that i inherited and uh you know some of them have been there 13 14 years and uh you know when you start to make changes you know you have people who say okay well this isn't my same job i used to work work anymore and, and it's different and new and some people embrace that and others don't so you know when i started i did have a couple people leave who had been there for a long time but, you know, that's, that's fine. It's, uh, you know, not about being in the mindset of coming in and I'm only working saute and I'm not even going to help the guy standing next to me on grill because this is my station and it's all I want to do. Uh, that attitude reminded me a lot of when I worked for the hotel in Boston when it was a, a union uh, situation there. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually, you know, those people kind of weed themselves out based on what the new standards are. And then you have uh, people who just – clearly want to learn and you have to embrace that and uh, do the best you can to encourage that growth. Um, I had one, one employee, Dijon Ross, who's actually the kitchen manager over at Stone Creek right now, um, who was an employee at Champions, really wanted to uh, learn a lot about great food, um, kind of had a little bit of leadership experience and seemed to be a great fit for what Stone Creek was going to be. Uh, so we asked him if he would do that for a little bit, uh, just on a period of time basis. So uh, he's actually coming back over to Champions on uh, April 1st, which I'm really excited about. But part of that was, is uh, you know, hey, chef, I really want to uh, finish my degree. I, I you know, started at Metro. I haven't finished yet. I really want to do culinary. Um, you know, what can we do to, to help that out? Well, uh, Metro, I've done this a couple times, but uh, Chef O'Malley over there has been really nice and has kind of let me be, um, I guess, an off-site faculty type person so doing these independent studies essentially for classes i just got done teaching uh dijon stock sauces and soups class that we did at champions run five weeks in a row every wednesday uh and then you know brock was really excited he wanted to get in on it so i had some other staff members who were really excited to to really get that learning piece too and that's something that's awesome because it saves him money on money per credit hour uh as far as the class goes but it's even more awesome in that uh you're giving those skills to somebody that they're going to take for a lifetime and they're going to continue to grow and nurture. And so now it's easier for me when I say, Hey, I need, I need uh, white chicken stock made. I've got a guy who knows how to do it, knows the ratios and knows how to make it happen. So it's about taking the time to invest in your staff and, and making sure that they know and understand that you're there for them. You're there to help them grow and that they're not just a cog in a machine, which sometimes you can feel like as a line cook, you know? 
That brings up something really interesting. I was going to bring this up later, but I'm just going to do it now. In that you mentioned Dan Watts, and he uh, he's a um, culinary consultant at Cisco. He was on the podcast probably about a month ago now. And something that he talked about when he was working with you is he said he valued that experience so much because he could ask you, what are we doing here? Why are we making this? So it's not like, you know, the kitchen is not like an assembly line where everybody's just kind of putting one piece of something together. Everybody is kind of learning and understanding why these ingredients go together. Why are we using this cooking process? Things like that. And you kind of talked about why it's so important, but just like, why do you place such a high importance on giving that understanding to people of what they're actually cooking and why it works as opposed to just saying, hey, we need production, just get this done? It's the age-old adage of uh, teach a man to fish or uh, fish for a guy, give him a fish, you know. Uh, with uh, teaching somebody the background and knowledge of why they're doing something, it helps them uh, make that decision of how does this technique apply to things that I do further down the road or different dishes that I make in the future. Uh, I guess I would say that I'm, I'm pretty technique driven as far as like what I like to teach. Um, but you know, we're, we're going to make a this example, uh, stock sauces, soups class. One of the sauces we were making that day was mayonnaise. Okay. Well, here's how you make mayonnaise. It's egg yolks, it's vinegar, it's oil, it's salt. Boom. But now here's what you can do with it. You can use an infused oil. Here's smoked paprika oil. You can make mayonnaise. It looks like orange paint straight out of a tube. Um, and, and tastes awesome, you know? Um, so it's about, for me, having the staff understand the basics and the foundation so that they can use their own creativity to develop those flavors and processes in the future. And that not only allows them to gain more skill, but allows me to delegate a little more effectively and not have to be directly fingers in every little project that we're, that we're doing. Uh, you know, obviously I do a lot of planning, a lot of menu writing. Uh, I think in the last month and a half, I've written eight menus. Uh, no big deal. <laughs> you know, it's fun. It's fun. Um, but it really allows me to say, you know, Hey, my banquet chef has the autonomy to say, okay, you know, we need, uh, an Alfredo sauce for whatever. How do I make an Alfredo? Do we need to flavor it based on what the protein is? How do we make that delicious and flavorful and consistent for, for our members and their guests? Um, and I guess for me, that's, that's why the technique is so important. The, uh, the, the, the why Dan Watts is a good dude. He always asks the why questions. He says, well, why do you do that? Um, you know, well, I feel that it gives this result for this reason. And uh, having the staff that's willing to ask the why question instead of just wanting to do it, that's a, that's a, a trait that I hire and promote on. Uh, you know, if, if somebody wants to know the why, uh, you know, I can teach you the how. But the, the why is, is really the aspect that is going to help you grow and develop your own cuisine and help in turn grow and develop the cuisine that we're serving in the restaurant and our banquets, all of our outlets, I mean, it even goes down to the guy at the pool cafe who's got to <laughs> cook like 80 pounds of chicken tenders a service. Uh, you know, how do we make that more efficiently? But also, how do you apply new flavors and trends to make it something that's really appealing to our guests and, and, and the members there? So, yeah, the, uh, the why is really important. So how do you encourage your staff to ask the why? Because, and I, I could be wrong here, the complete transparency I've always been transparent on the podcast. I have not ever worked in a restaurant. I'm, this is something that I'm unfamiliar with. But from the understanding that I get, and I think that this is changing and has changed a lot over the last five years, last decade, but restaurants, 
in uh, as a whole are a very production oriented business where it is more about just the how do you get it done and you are just working on the one station and everything so how when people come into champions run how do you get them to ask the why how do you, how do you let them feel even if they want to ask it, how do you get them to feel comfortable asking the why? Sometimes they don't ask, and I just say it anyway. So they listen. <laughs> uh, but but you're absolutely right, and that is a comfortability piece. Um, you know, I have a uh, a pastry chef there, amazing gal, Hannah Eady, and uh, she was somebody who I did like my first independent study metro thing with. I helped her teach uh, like advanced patisserie and uh, bakery student manager were the classes that we did so that she could graduate. She stayed on as our pastry chef, and you know, fresh out of school. Uh, you know, you have all the technique, you know, maybe the, the how, but you don't know the why of the production volume or, uh, you know, of what, what type of area you're trying to hit, what type of production is it? Is it like little finger food bites? Is it whole dessert things? And she's somebody who has really done a good job when she started. She was really, really quiet. And she's, uh, she's now gotten louder. And actually, uh, this last weekend, we were uh, a little short-staffed with how busy it was. And uh, she hopped on the line and was helping out on the, uh, the salad fry station and way outside of her comfort zone. But it was nice to see her uh, really take what she had learned and translated in her training into, I mean, she was basically running the station. I got my guy on the station over there, great kid. Uh, but I hear her walk around the corner. Hey, Ryan, you're in the weeds. Get on your station. Um, but really just keeping everybody to the point and uh, on of getting that done. And I think it's a culture piece. I honestly think it's about having the right people who want to ask those questions. And the more of those people you have, the more encouraged it is. And uh, the other thing is, is, as a chef, you can't be, oh, well, I don't have time to tell you that. You know, It's like, yeah, I'll stop. I'll take a minute. We'll explain it. and We'll figure it out. That being said, there are times where we're just a production factory. Sometimes we've got a banquet for 300 people and we've got to, you know, do 300 cut breaded panko chicken breasts or whatever it is. You're serving 700 burgers. <laughs> yeah, <in the> ex <laughs> exactly right. How do we get that done in quick? Um, so there's a time and a place for everything. But, uh, you know, I think the weekly features are something really fun, too, because if you're a line cook there, you're not doing you're doing the standard menu every week. But, you know, depending on what's going on, they might be able to come up with their own feature. I might dictate what that is. But uh, that's what I really love about that is having the opportunity for creativity for the people on the, on the line as well as the opportunity for us to use great local product. Uh, you know, some things only have a couple-week seasons. What can I get, you know? Um, and I always try and get weird, unique stuff in. Uh, for example, we just got a case of fresh bergamot orange, right? It's the orange they use to make Earl Grey tea. Oh, really? And, well, what the heck does this thing even look like? I've, I've never had it fresh. And, uh, anyway, the, the, the zest is, like, straight black pepper, and it's, like, Whoa. lemony. And uh, it was a really fun project I got with the pastry chef. And we said, well, uh, we're coming up on a, a harvest board on the new menu, you know, our charcuterie cheese board. I want to do house-made jams for this. Uh, why don't we come up with an orange marmalade recipe using the bergamot? So we got a bergamot blood orange and Seville orange marmalade that we just made last week that was kind of a cool learning experience for her. But also everybody in the kitchen is like, oh, what is this? Let me taste that. Let me see it. And it's that, that, that environment of, of encouragement and excitement about new food and uh, learning new things that is an intangible, intangible that you can't necessarily, you know, I can't say when you come in you have to have this attitude. It's a culture piece, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, super cool to, to be in that environment and have people that want to do that. I have to imagine that is like the most rewarding feeling as a chef, maybe even more so than coming up with like an awesome dish or some, or some new process that you're really proud of yourself is when you see someone else do it. When you see 
somebody, you know, come up with one of those specials, like you said, or, or find something creative with a new local product or the pastry chef jumping on the line. Like that has to just really invigorate you, right? You know, it's so awesome and it's so exciting to see people, uh, just an amazing group of people wanting to do that. And, and yeah, I guess I like to say it's like a proud Papa moment, you know, you're like, Oh, sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, at the end of the day, uh, all that drive and that want is really on the individual employee. So, you know, when you're hiring somebody, it's, I always say I hire for intangibles. I hire for good attitude. I hire for timeliness. Uh, I hire for, um, you know, want and drive to do more and learn more. And, you know, that's something we constantly encourage in our day-to-day operation. Um, So you kind of mentioned how you got into cooking um, at an early age, but I guess going back even further, you, you know, you said you eat, sleep, drink, you know, everything food. Was that just how it always was for you growing up? Was it just like so natural to go into that, you know, that, that line of progression? Uh, you know, it really was, and it's kind of weird. So, um, my dad is from Guilford, Connecticut. My mom's from Hastings, Nebraska. They met when my dad came to Nebraska for school. Uh, but my dad's side of the family for, uh, many generations actually owned a grocery store called Benton's Market. And, uh, it was started, I believe it was my great, great, great grandfather started this market with a horse-drawn carriage with an ice block on it. (laughs) And it turned into a brick and mortar operation. And uh, my dad was like the the butcher. He was like the meat department guy, right? So I guess I grew up uh, having a lot of love and knowledge and passion for that. Um, eventually, the uh, the value of the business exceeded the value of the uh, or the value of the property exceeded the value of the business. And uh, my grandfather decided it was time to sell. My dad didn't want to take it over. His brother was good, and uh, my dad decided to go into finance, which is a stark turn from uh, from from food service. But um, I guess uh, I grew up. Uh, pretty lucky in that regard and that I had, you know, a dad that had a passion for food. My mom's side of the family, they were Germans from Russia. And uh, so, you know, my great aunt Kay used to be at the museum in Lincoln every week making noodles. And, uh, you know, my mom's uh, mom, uh, grandma Bidek, uh, used to uh, make all kinds of German food. When, when actually she passed away, I inherited all of her cookbooks. And I have a lot of very, very straight up in German recipes and books that uh, are kind of fun. Um, so we might be getting a German week coming soon. Well, huh? <laughs> you know, you know, we might. Um, and German language was what I studied in high school because I was so interested in it. And uh, actually got to do study abroad in Germany uh, through Johnson & Wales. I uh, went to Koblenz to the German wine school where I did kind of a three-month program on European wine study. And uh, the best part of that was, was the travel the last month. We went to uh, wineries in uh, Germany, Switzerland, France, uh, Spain. It was just like the most amazing thing in my, my whole life. But, uh, yeah, you know, the, uh, the growing up in a culture of a family that cooks, you know, we were a family that sat down and had family dinner every night. Uh, you know, I have an older brother too. Uh, he actually had worked at the Knowles restaurant in Lincoln from when he was, uh, 15 until they closed actually just recently. Um, so he loves it too, but I, I don't think anybody in my family was quite ready for the, uh, the amount of love and energy and passion that I put into it. I came home one day and said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to be a chef. And they're both financial advisors. And I think they're like, oh, geez. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, but uh, they really saw the energy and love and passion that I put into it. And, uh, you know, it, it got me to Johnson & Wales in Providence, Rhode Island, which uh, was one of four campuses they have. It's the oldest and first campus that they had. And the uh, really the only uh, 
only campus that offered a beverage study concentration. So got to do a uh, degree in bachelor's degree in culinary arts with concentrations in beverage service management and leadership studies. So uh, that ended up being awesome. Uh, through that experience out there, I actually got to uh, go to Foxborough, Massachusetts, where Gillette Stadium is, where, where the Patriots play. Uh, there was a restaurant there that was called Tastings Wine Bar and Bistro, and I uh, worked for a chef there named Richard Garcia. And uh, I seriously got linked up with this guy through sheer luck. I was in meat cutting class. There was a girl who's like, oh, you seem to, to know what you're doing here. Uh, I have a chef in my apartment building that's opening a restaurant. Do you want me to give me a resume? And so she did. Next thing you know, he's driving me to the construction site. We're walking through it. And uh, just ended up being awesome. And, wow. and tastings was sweet. I mean, we, we'd process all of our meats from whole animals. It would be, uh, we'd go to the farm and get what we're going to cook that week. We'd like to go and pick it out. Great relationships in the area. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just really an awesome experience. Um, I actually ended up following Richard Garcia up to Boston, where I worked at the Renaissance Waterfront Hotel in the Seaport. And, uh, you know, he was the executive chef there at that hotel. And, boy, is a hotel a different beast. That was a uh, kitchen staff of almost 65 people. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of has their own responsibility. We even had, like, uh, just a staff only to cook food for the employees of the hotel. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, you know, and you, you think about that. We had three stories of, of banquet space. I remember we had a uh, a wedding with a with – a, couple from india and you know they had brought in a caterer for the food but uh they straight up like had tigers and elephants that they were like going around the block they shut down the seaport for it was like crazy to be involved in events of that scale um but uh you know i was there kind of as i guess a lead line cook or, or a line cook whatever um when i got the call from kim brown who said hey there's a restaurant in lincoln who's looking for a chef i think it could be a great opportunity for you uh, and at 23 years old, got my first executive chef job at Venue. Incredible. Um, so moved back from Boston to do that. Uh, was there for a while, you know, open Cactus, open Piedmont Bistro, uh, the Venue Catering and Events side. And uh, really just that kept me very, very busy. Uh, and then it was just, you know, time for a little bit of a change. And it was uh, that meeting, chance meeting with uh, Andy Reitz that uh, turned into Champions Run. So I guess in a nutshell, that's kind of the background. Uh, but a lot there. Um, Again, you know, I, I think I, I'm really, really lucky to have the great family that I have who's so supportive of what I do. And, uh, you know, I <laughs> they were supporting it without even knowing it. You know, uh, my mom's a great cook. My dad's kind of the grill master guy, you know. And uh, it's great to grow up in a household with that energy and passion and uh, the encouragement that I needed to, to go forward. You mentioned the wine certification in Germany, and that's something that really s stood out to me during my research. And maybe this is the case with other chefs, and I just haven't noticed it as much, but that struck me as something very unique. Why did you decide to do that? I know that you mentioned that, you know, just that those couple months were amazing, and spending the time out there was awesome. And I'm sure you did more than just, you know, study beverages, but like, why did you feel the need to add that onto all the culinary education you already had? Well, first of all, I love beverages. <laughs> Fair <laughs> um, enough. Uh, wine is super awesome, and I'm, I'm sure Dan Watts maybe talked about the uh, the trip through Kentucky when we came back from uh, cooking at the Department of Ag building. But... He actually he told me to ask you about that. <laughs> okay. So we'll get there. We'll okay, get so... there. Hold on to that story for a moment. We need to have something to tease people to so they'll yeah, keep listening. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll get to that. But, you know, I uh, I think wine is really – 
I think of wine as liquid food, right? I mean, it's, it's essentially, you have all these different varietals of grapes. You have uh, different processes of fermentation, different yeasts. Is it spontaneous? Is it not? And it all impacts the flavor and the final product. And it comes down to winemaker's expression. It comes down to the expression of the soil that it's grown in. And that's something that's really interesting to me, but more so as a chef trying to be the complete package. Uh, being able to pair wine and food is something that's awesome. Being able to speak intelligibly about wine and, and really know what's going on has been something that's been a huge asset in my career. Um, I haven't ever been like the beverage manager. I haven't, you know, at the, at the club, we have a clubhouse manager who uh, handles all the all the beverage purchase, all the wine purchase. But it's really fun that I, I think they enjoy that they can nerd out on that stuff with me and, and vice versa. And for me, it's, um, you know, when we do these tasting menus, it's, we don't make we don't create dishes and then try and slot wine in to fit the dishes. We always create the food around what the specific wine is, when it was vented, where it's from, what the varietal is. Interesting. Um, you know what the alcohol content is. We go through, we taste, and you know as I'm tasting, that's when I say, okay, well this flavor, this flavor, this flavor. That's how we combine that into a dish, and that's how we create our our, our wine dinners for our members. Uh, in the same way we did it at venue too. Uh, so I guess. The wine piece might seem a little weird, but uh, aside from just wanting to travel and, and that was a cool way to do it um, and also taking like four years worth of German coursework that I didn't want to have go to waste, uh, <laughs> it was uh, kind of the thing that really seemed to make sense to me. And, uh, you know, I think it's just uh, a, a, another notch in the belt above and beyond of, of what sets me apart in the marketplace, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say the wine piece is weird at all. <laughs> I, it struck me because it it like reinforces your resume all the much more because a lot of chefs, you know, they have a sommelier and they kind of, you know, let them handle more of the beverage side of it, or maybe they work with that person, but you can kind of serve both of those roles. And I think that that kind of, it plays into something that I wanted to ask you about in that education is clearly very important to you in that, you know, you went to a very prestigious university, you traveled abroad. Um, now you are, you know, helping your cooks and, and, uh, people who work at champions get their education. Like this matters a lot to you. So I've had people on, and I love to ask different kitchen personalities about this. I've had people on here who have just done the whole, like just get in a restaurant at age 16 and just cook and just work your way up. No education. They love that. I've had people who have done that and said, man, I wish I could have gone to culinary school. I've had people who have gone to culinary school and said, was not worth it. I wish I just would have gotten a kitchen and cooked. So it's just like all different spectrums. I guess I have a feeling where you fall on this, but like, where do you fall on that spectrum? So it's, 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 that's a very interesting question, right? So you have the school of hard knocks, mm -hmm. right? You, you come up, you work your butt off, you learn what you can from, from however many chefs you work for. And I always say, uh, you know, your goal at the end of the day, working for a chef is to know everything that they know. Right. And at that point, that's when you say, OK, well, maybe it's time to move on and work for somebody else. And that's kind of the, the, the very classic way that people would come up and learn food. Right. And, yeah, I went to a great culinary school and I have a degree, which, you know, for me more so was uh, I need a degree in a science in case I get to, you know, age 30 and decide I don't want to do this. I need like something I can fall back on, which I'm 31. I'm doing great. We're doing great here. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that for me, the act of working a lot in restaurants, which I did uh, in Lincoln. And then when I was out East, I was going to school and working, getting under a great chef and having that combined with like the proper technique and fundamental knowledge that you get in a culinary training program really uh, helps 
make that all come full circle for you. You know, I know a lot of chefs that do the school of hard knocks. Uh, you know, when's, I, I'm going to use consomme as an example, right? When's the last, for me, I haven't been to a restaurant in years that has had consomme on the menu. Why do we even need to know how to make that? Well, how do you, how do you take that technique and apply it into a, a component of a dish? Right. So, you know, you're doing a table side soup. You want a nice clear broth that you're going to pour over. Let's say it's like a, like a deconstructed chicken noodle or something, just random example. Um, if you don't have the foundational knowledge to do that, uh, then like, yeah, you can probably execute it, but do you really think it's going to be as great as it could be if you, if you really had that knowledge and could apply some technique and, and foundation to that? And so, yeah, I mean, I think school is really important. I don't think that going to school alone is going to make you a great chef or a great line cook. I think that no matter what, you got to put in the time and uh, work your butt off to uh, to get to where you need to get. So, I mean, I guess that's where I stand. I think the education is really important. And actually, uh, certification is, is something that I'm pursuing this year. I'm trying to get my certified executive chef uh, this year from the American Culinary Federation. It's amazing to have a business that wants to support me in doing that, uh, which is, is why I feel like it's taken me so long. But I said it on the podcast, so now I got to do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now it's recorded. There's evidence of it. Yep. We're holding it to it. Yep, absolutely. So, again, for me, how do you set yourself apart from other employer, uh, other employees in the same workplace? It's from doing certifications. It's from doing training classes. It's from from reading, drinking, experiencing, going out to eat, and, and really, as I said, uh, sleep, drink, eat, breathe food, and just uh, – Stay focused on, on what you want. Stay focused on what your end goal is. Have goals. You know, that's important. I love what you just said there because it's something that I think is a very common through line with a lot of the successful chefs that I have on this show is that they are very open to the fact that they don't know everything. And, in yeah. fact, that they know very little. Even super accomplished chefs who have had successful restaurants open for a decade, 20 years, are still constantly looking for opportunities to learn. And I just from this conversation, I think you would definitely fall in that bucket. Um, Is that just an attitude that you've always had or, or how do you develop just that, that yearning to always learn more and the, the humility to understand that you don't know it all, that it's not enough to just have what you have, but you need more. Yeah. One of the things I love about working with food is that it's a craft, right? It's a trade. It's working with your hands. It's creating a physical product with something. It's not like, uh, you know, I'm a woodworker and I make tables or something that, that maybe last a lot longer than just the food we put on a plate. But, uh, you know, there's there's always new things to learn. There's always new techniques to learn. There's always new cuisines to learn. Uh, you know, I have a huge interest someday in to, to go to Southeast Asia and spend some time there and do, do some training. I, mean, I have a huge interest in the cuisine. I know the flavors. Um, I think if I were to go there, I'd find it how quickly I didn't know anything. Um, but I think that's what's fun about it. You have something that you can literally spend your whole life working on and, and try and gain this knowledge. And at the end of the day, there's no way to accomplish uh, 100% of everything. But it's, it's super cool to always have something new and exciting to look forward to and new and exciting and different to do. And uh, I guess that's why I, I, why I groove on it a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so along that line, what is the – and I'll, I'll kind of leave this open-ended, but what's the most – important, cool, like eye-opening, whatever direction you want to take it, like culinary insight you learned in the last six months? Man, that's a tough one. Uh, So for me in the last six months, uh, I find that my insights are maybe a little bit less culinarily focused, but more leadership focused. And so for me, it's uh, always developing a more thorough, thorough understanding of the dynamic of your team and how 
you essentially, you can't manage with just like a blanket method of management, right? I have 13 people in the kitchen. Each one requires something different in order to help them learn and grow. I can't just approach every employee the same way and, and expect to get great results. And for me, it's just come to, to learn myself in order to, to learn and know my staff in order to try and help give the best direction when and where I can. And for me in the last six months, I know that's a really vague statement, but that, that has really been something like, especially through the pandemic and trying to focus on that, that's been a huge focus. That being said, I'm a huge nerd. Every paycheck I've ever got, I buy a cookbook. I have a massive library. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've, uh, as mentioned, Southeast Asia, I've been uh, reading on Cuisine of Thailand. I've been uh, on to uh, Breath of a Walk. It's an amazing book. Check that one out. And, uh, you know, Fiden, which is a, a publisher, they have a, a lot, they do a lot of really high-end restaurants, cookbooks, so a lot of Michelin-starred stuff. I think they, uh, I feel like they publish the French Laundry, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But uh, they have these these series of books that are all cuisines of a country, so they have uh, a book on chi- China, just China history, their food, their cooking philosophy, et cetera, Japan, Thailand. Uh, and for me, it's interesting to take those and try and gain what I can from it and see how can I, I can apply some of those traditional items or techniques into what we produce in a daily restaurant or daily basis in our restaurant. Um, and for me, it's more about learning flavors. I guess uh, the coolest thing that I haven't, that I knew of that we haven't made a lot of uh, most recently with stock sauces and soups class was Chinese superior stock, which is this amazing flavorful base of like dry cured country ham, uh, pork butt, chicken, oh and, and dried flounder and dried shrimp. And it goes in with like ginger and scallions and shiitake mushrooms. And it's like this crazy umami bomb. Oh. But to take something that is like, you know, I was reading about it. It's like if, if you're in China and, and uh, you know, you know that the kitchen has this stock that they're making on their stove in the back, you know that they're going to be a pretty high-end restaurant and that's a place where you should go. Uh, but to take something that is so, so authentically Chinese like that and then translate it into either our American cuisine, French cuisine, whatever, or uh, even utilize that to make Italian food, uh, how do you steal that flavor and how do you incorporate those? Uh, I really jive on that. So, I don't know, kind of fun. No, I, I absolutely love that idea. And, <laughs> you know, you talk about getting all these different cookbooks and I've talked to chefs previously and they've said they will never use a recipe. Like, they're, they're not into recipes. It's, you know, cooking is about feel. It's not about, you know, reading a specific list of ingredients and then just, you know, following the instructions to a T. That's not really cooking. That's just you know, following a list, like a monkey can do that. Obviously that's yeah. entirely true, but <laughs> hearing, just hearing you talk about it in that you are reading these cookbooks and you're not reading these cookbooks for the purpose of, I'm going to take, I'm going to make this specific dish, but I'm going to learn something from these cooking techniques, learn something from these combination of ingredients that I hadn't thought of before. And I'm going to find a way to translate that into my food. Yep. When did that thinking or like how did that develop in you well when i was a young kid and i was starting out at, at southeast community college doing uh you know artistry for the baker and nutrition class i was like you know i'm working in the business i want to learn more what can i do now that's going to have a have a good impact and uh my mom laughs because i think i'm the only person who can pick up a cookbook and literally read it cover to cover uh but i'm i'm not i again i'm not reading for the recipes necessarily but, but more now, what I realize is I'm reading to, to know and understand the culture better and know and understand the, the why of, of how does that cuisine fit into to their culture and, and how is it important to them and how does that translate into other cultures. And for me, that's just super, super cool. Um, 
But, uh, you know, you're right. Uh, I say bakers have formulas, cooks have recipes, because recipes are written to be loosely followed, essentially, you know, um, other than for costing purposes. But you're right. Uh, I know a lot of chefs who are really afraid to bake because, you know, it's a, baking has no soul. It's just this is what it is. This is how it comes out at. Uh, and then you have bakers who produce amazing things with, with consistent results, and there's artistry in how it's, uh, how it's presented, proofed, baked, et cetera. Uh, I just think it's just that mindset of, you know, one or the other. I, I really like standardization as a chef. You know, I, I like to be able to say, okay, uh, I also am a huge nerd. I tend to write all my recipes in metrics, so it's usually like grams of, of whatever. Uh, but it's, uh, it's great to have that foundation. But in the testing phase, it's, you know, what do we do? How do we play with it? What do we what do we do to, to make it good? And then the standardization is how do I make it consistent so it's the same every time when somebody comes. But uh, you know you're right. It's uh, I'm not you don't read a book to just say oh I want to make Thomas Keller's recipe of you know uh, it's I want to understand the why and the how of, of of this procedure and how does that apply to other things that I make. And I think that's something that as cooks we learn as we grow. And as you grow, you realize the importance of that. Mm -hmm. Now, I just, I, I think it's just so cool just from this conversation that, you know, you, you talked about, you know, creating a culture of, of employees who are going to ask the why, who, who want to know more, who are going to verbalize that and, you know, come to you and ask you that. I think you're able to create that culture because you have that attitude. <laughs> I can see that from you right now. You are constantly asking why. So when the leader does that, of course, yes, that's going to dispel down into everyone else. And I, I, I just think that I don't even have a question to go along with that. <laughs> I just think that that's really cool. And, and it's, it's easy to see why uh, your staff takes to that so much. So now we have to get to the aforementioned story, which just must be a great story because you brought it up. And when I... A couple days ago, I, I you know I knew you were coming on the podcast, so I texted Dan, Dan Watts, and was like, "Hey, you know, is there anything I should ask John about? Is there anything I should know? You know that we should talk about?" And before he said anything like culinarily or anything, he just said, "Ask him about the trip that you guys took to Washington D.C. and then to Kentucky." So I know nothing <laughs> about this story other than that. Just go ahead and tell it because now we've promised people something and we have to be men of our word. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily just one great story or just a series of really random, poor, drunken decisions. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> essentially, uh, so Cisco was contacted by the federal government, by the United States Department of Agriculture to uh, provide some chefs to travel to D.C. to cook at the USDA building for Sonny Purdue and, and, you know, Senator Fortenberry was there and Don Bacon and all those people. But uh, it essentially was uh, food representing the state of Nebraska, right? So the menu is pretty thoroughly vetted actually by a number of politicians and things that had some interests, interests that they wanted to, uh, to convey. But uh, Dan and I joke about it because it's like, it's like the trip that never happened because we literally went there and came back two days later, COVID lockdown happened. And, oh, wow. so, and so it was almost like it forgot and, and just vanished. Right. But, uh, so Dan Watts, Lane Rosenberry, who's a center of the plate specialist at Cisco, as I mentioned, one of the first chef I ever worked for. And then Michael Rhodes, who has the same title Dan does at, at uh, Cisco as well. Uh, they asked me if I wanted to go with them. So uh, we decided we were going to go. And I'm going to try not to get Dan in trouble on this one. But we decided that instead of flying, we were going we to rent a van and that we were going to drive to D.C. So we did uh, <laughs> from Omaha nonstop. Omaha to DC to get out there to do this with a van full of food 
Uh, How many hours is that? Uh, well, I know that from Lincoln to Providence, it took me 22 and a half hours of driving. Okay. So I'd say it was about 23 hours. Yeah, we got, so we're talking like a day straight. Yeah, we got, <laughs> we got four of us in a van. You know, we're making it happen. And uh, so we get out there and, uh, you know, we – we get to the USDA building and it's all official. You know, we get our, our security badges and we get all ready. We show us where the kitchen is. And this place is massive. Like if we need, if we need something that's not in this little satellite kitchen, we've got to go uh, down to the basement underneath like two blocks of DC to another facility that they have to go get it and bring it back. Like a crazy labyrinth of, of a facility. But we, uh, we cooked all this awesome food. We had a great time in DC and uh, not to sell that short because that was an amazing experience in itself. But as soon as we were done, we were like, all right, pack it up. We're going to Kentucky. Let's go. Uh, so the drive back, you know, took us back through. We were able to take a couple extra days on, on getting back. And, uh, boy, we hit up Woodford Reserve. We went to the Jim Beam Urban Distillery. We did, uh, uh, like, 14 liquor stores. <laughs> um, so it, it was kind of fun that uh, – you know, there's a lot of, of these bourbons that are not distributed into the Nebraska market just because of the way our liquor laws are. So, I mean, and I don't know if I'm breaking any laws doing this, but we basically filled a van with like four barrels worth of bourbon <laughs> and, oh uh, and drove back. Uh, Dan and I maybe went a little wild. My collection's pretty big now. But uh, <laughs> we uh, had a great time going through on these tastings and, uh, you know, checking out the distilleries. And I know Dan is an intensely passionate person about, about his bourbon. And uh, that's kind of been something that's rubbed off on me. You know, I've always enjoyed drinking it uh, and just understanding the mash bills, things like that. We did Buffalo Trace. That was a super awesome, super awesome time. And uh, Harlan Wheatley, we actually got to meet in the parking lot as we were going in there, which he's like the guy who's uh, featured, like, what is it called? I think it's like Poor or something. There's a documentary on mm. Netflix on, yes. on Buffalo yes. Trace. Uh, so super, super cool, wild trip. And... Uh, so we'd get up, uh, you know, earliest we could, go to the distillery, start tasting bourbon, maybe hit the maybe hit the distillery shop, then go hit some liquor stores, and we ended up staring, staying at this uh, little Airbnb right across from this. Uh, I believe we were in Frankfort, Kentucky. This little Airbnb right across from this cool little bar that was kind of like a nightclub thing, and uh, basically we were just a, a reckless group of people for three days. Uh, it was really really fun, and it was. Uh, Great to get to know, uh, you know, Michael Rhodes. I hadn't really hung out with him a whole lot before. I didn't know him very well. It was great to get to know him really well. It was great to be there with somebody like Lane, who I'd known for a long time. And then uh, Dan is somebody who is just a gentleman of intense energy and passion. And I also love that there is no filter on anything that he says. He's just straight up tell you how it is, you know. And he'd probably say that about me if we were talking about it in the kitchen. I think one day he came up to me as like, John, I'm just amazed that, like, when you want something done that way, you just say you want it done that way. It's like, well, yeah, why would you do it any other way? It's like, oh, you know, some people try to be nice. And, uh, <laughs> like, well, I'm not necessarily mean. I just, you know, this is the expectation and this is what we need to do. Uh, but anyway, we uh, ended up getting back just pretty haggard when we got back into uh, like in Omaha. And uh, it was just an amazing time. And then COVID locked down two days later. But uh, we had a pretty darn good time. Uh, the uh, not to make fun of anybody, the old boys Lane and Mike uh, kept up really, really well. When we were in uh, D.C., kind of between uh, doing the USDA stuff, uh, there was a restaurant there called The Diplomat, and really, really awesome. We actually went there one night for dinner, and I think we ended up having pretty much the entire menu. It was super awesome. We went back another time when we were there, and uh, it was just just super awesome. And to be able to take, uh, you know, we talk about experiences and and inspiration from those experiences 
really seeing a cool operation like that. Like you walk in and they literally have like a house baked bread station where the servers cut all the fresh baguette and like have butter on cones that they carve off. Uh, just a really, really cool experience. And so I guess that's kind of the, the story that I can say, uh, that happened, uh, on the drive out and back. I know that, uh, at one point we stopped and I was like, man, we really need some country ham. I think I bought like six whole hams that I put in the back of the van that we brought back and, uh, we're eating on those for a little bit. And, uh, God, just a just a good time with a great group of people, and I think uh, that's something else I really love about this industry is the uh, relationships that you make with uh, the other people who are doing the work. Just awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic. <laughs> basically, just it's like it's like the ultimate bachelor party, except nobody's getting married. It's just bourbon, meat, and just like hanging out. Like, yeah, it doesn't sound too bad at all. Um, we're we're getting up against it on time, but there's one last thing that I really want to ask you, and I love asking a lot of different people in the industry this question but i think someone especially who i think with your intelligence and the vast array of experiences that you've had i'm really interested to get your answer on this and that is what is one thing that people who have not worked in the restaurant industry or just your typical diner does not understand about the industry that you wish that they did well there's a number of things so that's a really hard question (laughs) yeah there's probably many um you know, I guess uh, one thing that is important to understand is just the amount of work that goes into things that seem like it doesn't take any work at all. The amount of work and training to make sure that your silverware is polished and is on the table. The amount of uh, testing and technique that it took to make the, if they're making the rolls, but to make the bread that goes on your table. The amount of work of standardization of making sure that every plate is consistent and let alone sourcing product. I mean, Cisco's a great vendor. I mean, I use a couple different vendors too, but things happen, you know, things miss trucks, things don't show up. How do we make that work? And I guess uh, for me, the, the biggest one at Champions Run for me is, you know, when we're doing events, it's amazing how like very last minute sometimes people tend to be on either signing up or dropping off. You know, and I know if, if I were a small independent restaurant running a wine dinner that I thought I had 50 people signed up for and then day of 12 of them dropped out, it's like, crap, what do I do? Um, so I guess what I would say is uh, everybody listening, it's important. Know, love, and respect your restaurants because they're putting in a lot of hard work for you. And uh, if you're going to try and uh, partake in like a special event, you know, uh, Dan and I actually just – I was able to come on the show because Dan and I went to the, uh, the allocated bourbon dinner at V Mertz with uh, Jake Newton over there. And uh, amazing to see what can be put out with some great planning and uh, don't be the person that causes the plan to go awry, I guess. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, John, I, I mean, we could talk all day. This was a really, really fun conversation. I thank you so much for, for coming on and really, just providing so many unique insights, I think, you know, not only just about, you know, food itself, but about, you know, just the education and the learning and creating, you know, such a such a stable environment at Champions Run. I, I just, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for taking the time. Well, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. All right. We'll, we'll call it an episode at that. Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.